Welcome to episode 12 of Tailoring Talk with me, Roberto Rivella. The wedding industry has been going through a tough time lately and it's been the last year more than ever that in order to survive we've needed to pull together and make really good friends. My next guest is known within our industry as a master connector, innovator, mentor and self-described all-round busybody. I'm so pleased to be joined by my friend, owner of Wedding Espresso, James Pearson. James, how are you, my friend? I'm very good, Roberto. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. I apologise, first of all, because I'm sitting here in front of you, not in a suit as you would normally expect me, but in my cycling lycra, all hot and sweaty. Uh, Nice way to start off an episode. Um, so I do apologise, but I literally just got... I'm going to be perfectly honest, actually, that the, the, the sight of a sweaty bobby is actually throwing me off a little bit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I'm all good. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to keep you on your toes. So yeah, I just got back from my second cool. vaccination. I decided that I would cycle up there, because why not? Because um, I figure I might get a little bit woozy later on in the day. Um, I did get told off for cycling up there, though. Um, and they said, can you not cycle back? And I said, well, I'm not really wanting to leave my very expensive road bike sort of tied to a lamppost in the middle of Finchley. Thank you very much. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm just glad to get it. Is it not an option to wheel it back? You, it was about 10 miles. So I didn't really fancy doing that. Um, yeah. So anyway, it was all kind of mostly downhill, so it wasn't a problem. Um, but glad to get that out of the way. Um, so I, I've just booked today and tomorrow off um, so that I can spend some time with some lovely people like you and get some work done behind the scenes excellent um so we met no probably a couple years ago actually at least yeah um yeah if not if not earlier than that um but you and your lovely wife rachel have been running wedding espresso for a little while now which has been an online publication and it's kind of evolved over over the years and you also wrote a book as well which was published. So how have the last few years been for you? Yeah, um, I'm just going to go straight in there and just say pretty crazy. Um, mm. If I sort of, if I wind the clock back, uh, I've been involved in the wedding industry for about 15 years. Um, so I spent a decade filming weddings, um, cut my teeth really when the industry, when that side of the industry was really in its sort of infancy. And, you know, you could do a Google search for wedding videography and find six people up and down the country. So found myself going all over the place. It was a very exciting time. Um, and I think innovation sort of always been in my blood and I'm fascinated. Well, really, I'm just going to say compelled to try to find a different way through all the time because I think I get bored really easily. Um, so always looking for a way to, to shake things up. And, and there were a few sort of key moments in, in that wedding filming career that sort of really shone. And that was when I rewatched one of the, the first one was when I rewatched, um, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And I saw some scenes, uh, where, oh, what's the kid's name? I forget now. Danny. Um, Danny is being chased through the halls. <laughs> he's being chased through the halls. Um, and he's riding his little trike. And I thought, wow, that's what a shot actually. And it kind of stuck out to me because it was, it was, it was so like full of motion and, and you followed Danny through all these halls and it was really kind of mesmerizing and confusing visually. And so I kind of researched it and discovered that there was a piece of kit called a glide cam, which was invented for that film to shoot that scene. Um, 
And I looked into it and found out you could buy them from America. So I had one shipped over. It cost me about two and a half thousand pounds and started using it at weddings. And jaws dropped for like, for want of a better, a better way of uh, explaining it. And um, that was kind of like my first. Yeah, no one can see me right now, but my jaws, my jaws on the floor as well. <laughs> it was, it was a moment. It looked ridiculous because it had to be a full body pack with like a, a spring loaded suspension arm, which the camera sat on. Now the idea is that the whole thing is very carefully balanced. So sorry, was that? Was that attached? It to is. You? you wear it. Yeah, it looks a bit like riot gear, um, unfortunately. But the idea is that it, it takes, it distributes the weight of the camera across your body, and then takes out all of your movements. So every step you take would normally shake the camera. This thing would absorb the shock. So the camera was 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 free flowing, and this at the time was very innovative. So the the modern equivalent, I guess, would be what they call a gimbal. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And obviously, like, fast forward to today, and you've got little handheld gimbals and things, and it's all a lot easier to do. But back in the day, it was, um, I think, I think to this day, I haven't had anybody challenge me on this, but I was the first UK person to import a glide cam and use it at a wedding. Wow. And how was it? I'm guessing it's just that shot that influenced you and the technique used behind it as opposed to visually the actual vision of Danny cycling up a, a hotel corridor and seeing those two twins and then blood just streaming through. Because as you were describing all of that, that's immediately where my mind meant. Regular listeners will know that my mind goes some, to some weird places. And anyone who listens to me on on the other podcast that I'm involved with, Play Paul's Turn, will also know that my mind goes to some really weird places, but I'm just visualising you cackling with glee, uh, having set your wedding couples up at the end of the aisle, and then, you know, some special effects team with sort of rivers of blood about to stream down as the uh, ring bearer cycles up the aisle on a trike. <laughs> but that's not what you were, really that's not what you were fans, going I for, think, was yeah, it? I'm not psycho fans. Um, Shining fans, they'd love it. They'd love it. Um, the only the only manifestation of that, really, Bobby, was when um, I would chase a golf cart, two, a couple riding in a golf cart across a field, and I'm chasing them with a glide cam. <laughs> That's about the closest we came. There was no blood. Nobody actually <laughs> fell off the golf cart. Um, so it's, it's all good. It's all good. But I've had my couples do all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, I actually, you know, knowing knowing you, I, I can imagine that as well. That you'd be quite obviously very fun to work with, but you'd also just be doing things in a different way because I you know with wedding videographers I mean you want your wedding video to be memorable for all the right reasons because there's so much stress involved with that day and very often couples don't don't really remember much about it it all goes it starts I mean well it starts obviously when they set a date and then there's this whole lead up to it and then when the actual day happens it just goes by in the blink of an eye so your wedding video is so important and and I'm I'm guessing you must have had a lot of success and a lot of referral work afterwards because knowing you as I do you're never going to be someone who's just going to be a sort of stand and point sort of sort of person you know I'm, I can imagine you corralling your couples and having some sort of vision in your head um, bearing in mind the location and the personality of the couples and so on. It's totally true. I, I would go to every wedding with a trick up my sleeve. Like I'd research something I wanted to do 
Um, usually kind of like, you know, just exploring the, the possibilities of, of what was safe and sensible. Um, but at the same time, trying to push the boundaries all the time. It was a weird push-pull. Um, and it's a funny thing that you say about, you know, the wedding videos being so important. I remember that my favorite testimonial that I ever received was the bride contacted me and she said, you know, we've watched it. They, we've watched a hundred times or whatever. And, and we're just floods of tears and the family love it and stuff. But she said, if the house was burning down, I'd grab the wedding video. <laughs> and I was thinking, so, so, so not, this, not, this not record I created for you is now your, your most important possession in the world. I thought that is, I've done it. I've done it. That's it. That's the ultimate testimonial, I think. Um, so what, how long was it before you then decided to transition out of being a wedding videographer and what did you go on to do next and why did you stop doing it? Yeah. Good questions. Um, so it, it was a transition. It wasn't a hard stop. Uh, there was a new wave of wedding film coming across from the States. I'd already, I think it would have been about mid 2000. There was a huge shift in tone from America and wedding films were becoming very cinematic, which is possibly the style that we have today still. But it was full of like bombastic music and, and hard cuts and really dramatic scenes. And the whole thing had changed. And I guess the people at the front of the field are really, really pushing the change. They can't sit still. They're a bit like me. And um, out of all of that development came a style called stop motion which is where you would take thousands and thousands of still images, but you had the power to animate. Um, so if you think of like clay model stuff, like Morph, um, or even like, I don't know, uh, Valley of the Guanji, where you've got the dinosaurs fighting and the little r rubber models, and people would move them around one frame at a time. Take the shot, move, take the shot, move, take the shot. And so you could have ties unraveling out of boxes. Um and it was, it was a whole new way of expressing people's detail in their wedding. We shot a, a wedding for a couple that were obsessed with dinosaurs. Um, dinosaurs was a big part of their relationship, and I forget why. And they had dinosaurs everywhere, on the bar, on the tables. They were hidden little dinosaurs. And, and part of the fun for me was just going around finding the dinosaurs and putting like little little dinosaur stories together by animating the dinosaurs and, and moving them around. And they thought it was fantastic. Um, another little trick was they'd actually draw, had a hand-drawn map of their, of their kind of like wedding location, showing the guests how the flow of the day would go around these various areas. And so we took a copy home and I bought a little, their favorite dinosaur. I bought like a little model of it. And then I had the dinosaur kind of like move around the map as the wedding video went along to sort of say where these things were happening in the day. And again, it's just those little touches like that, that, that can lift, um, what everybody's already seen before into something a little bit new. Sometimes it goes too far and you've got to reel it back in. Um, but sometimes you have a breakthrough and it, it changes the game. So stop motion was cool, uh, but it also didn't really take off in this country. Um, it was a very, very, very niche product. So at the time we were talking about family planning and Rachel and I were obviously, you know, away most weekends shooting weddings and, and we just thought this won't fly. Um, and in our particular situation, we, our parents live quite far away and are quite old. So we don't necessarily have a great 
kind of like support system in place for looking after kids. So it would, ha- it would have to be something that we took very seriously. And we decided that filming weddings really wasn't feasible anymore. So out of that um, was really born wedding espresso, but it was a two-step process. I initially wanted to... I really had this feeling that having having lived a decade of, of wedding directories and a decade of of people being brands in the wedding industry and and you know websites there was there was no there was very little kind of humanity in it unless you went to a wedding fair and I wanted to put people first that was kind of the vision and so I tried it in a local town doing little video blogs for businesses um, and that was pretty successful but I very quickly discovered that there's a section of the marketplace that will be interested in any given product. And if the marketplace isn't big enough, you can't thrive because you're limited by the size of what you've set out to do. And so the town plan didn't pan out. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go straight back into the wedding industry. I'm going to take that plan, that model, and I'm going to do it in the wedding industry. And three years ago, putting people on Zoom or or Skype calls was incredibly revolutionary. I mean, we laugh about it today because we're all sick of it. But at the time... That that was something brand new. It was putting the people out there so that people could skip could skip the kind of the words and just get straight to the personalities and you know the vibe of what yeah. of what these people. Were it's about. almost like now we've come full. I don't know if this has become a new challenge for you, but we've almost come full circle with it. Having been novel, you got in there at that time when no one else was doing it. We've now had nearly eighteen months of meeting each other virtually and so on and for the most part people are sick of it and we're realizing all the things that we take for granted when we do things by video it's you know the the, you know just the little things that happen when you're interacting with people face to face this is right um so has has that now become has there been a bit of video fatigue set in with what you've been doing yeah there's a term i really like it's called banner blindness uh, applied to advertising and it's it's basically describes the process of someone going through a scroll scrolling through a news feed and just and just phasing out stuff that they've already seen a thousand times and the feeling very much is that um that has now come to pass because of lockdown i think we have we have that video banner blindness i mean I, when i first when i first really switched back on after sort of lockdown where the wedding industry was was creaking back up my newsfeed was just full of brand new face-to-face video call type talks. Everybody's doing it. And and so I realized that, you know, we weren't going to be able to proceed in that manner because that boat has sailed. What was innovative three years ago is now commonplace. So it, it's time for something new. But then at the same time, wedding shows aren't exactly the most pleasant experiences because I remember when we were going through the process of sorting out our own wedding... I remember we did. We went to one wedding show as a couple. Um, so it was one of those big national shows that was at Excel in London, or maybe the other one, uh, Olympia. It was Olympia. Um, okay. Yep. And it was pandemonium. I mean, you could not move. It was just a sea of brides and brides to be. Sorry, potential bride. Well, potential brides to be and brides to be. Now I say potential brides to be because there's a little story. So, uh, in this sort of sea of human beings, um, I got separated from my wife and her friends. 
And it, it was literally just one of those things where in a moment, they just kind of diverted off suddenly to some stall that they wanted to go and look at. And then I, a, a whole, I mean, hundreds of women just got in between me and my other half and just carried me in the opposite direction. And so, uh, anyway, so I'm trying to find my way back to them. And uh, I get stopped by this lady. And uh, she says to me, uh, she's holding up two dresses. And she said, what do you think? And I said to her, shouldn't you be asking your fiancé that? And uh, she said, oh, I'm not engaged. I haven't even got a boyfriend. I'm just here to buy my wedding dress. I'll worry about all that later. (laughs) It's absolute madness. And I swore to myself that I would never, ever want to go to one of those ever again, either as a someone planning their wedding or even as a supplier because it it was just too much i i don't understand how anyone can think that that is a pleasant experience in any way shape or form i'm gonna be honest i think they've got better um hand on heart i've never booked i never booked a wedding from a wedding fair but i think they have improved dramatically i mean they call a lot of the good ones are wedding shows now aren't they they they, they do a lot more they have entertainment um they're a lot more than they were but at the same time, it is difficult in that loud, noisy, crowded space really to have like an intimate connection with somebody and, and talk about something that is deeply personal and, yeah. and very, very important. So how do we shake that up then, James? Or what, what have you been working on? Because I know that you've, been, you've got some sort of plot going on in that head of yours. <laughs> There's always a plot going on in the, in the, uh, in the brain space, my brain palace. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't honestly have an answer to that question. I can, I can tell you what what has been happening and um through the process of of working on wedding espresso and working with wedding suppliers, I think I've come around to sort of discovering that I always believed that I wasn't a massive people person necessarily. But I've discovered like I do actually love people and I'm fascinated by them and one of like my great joys in life now is is bringing people together to accomplish something greater. Um, and I kind of coined a phrase for it. I called it Stonehenging. And that's like, it's impossible to build something um, miraculous without there being many hands involved. And I had a great time writing a book, uh, a wedding planning book. It was based on all those years experience of, of, of filming weddings and to be honest, by the end of that decade, I was giving out like a big printout of information about how to plan a wedding day. Just simple things that help brides and grooms understand the logistics from the supplier's perspective. Yeah. Um, and how to get the shots that they want and how to get the outcomes that they want. And that, that sort of folded into a book that we wrote, uh, largely sort of drawing from our own wedding, sharing stories about that. Um, and that was great. I loved that. Um but it was all from one perspective. And the next obvious step was to write a book with other wedding suppliers. So we published uh, last year, um, just as lockdown hit, we, we published Carpe Wedding D and Baby, which was a collection of 13 supplier stories. Um, but really based on like a framework that I'd provided so that they were able to tap into the same kind of vibe. And each chapter has the same vibe and it's wonderful. I don't think there's another book like it um, in the marketplace, certainly not in the wedding industry. 
Uh, and again, we distributed, I think we, we tapped out at about 4,000 copies of that um, at the beginning of lockdown. And again, it, it sort of became a personal mission to just try to pump some positive energy out in a time of crisis. Yeah. And that's what that book became. Uh, it became a beacon of hope. Um, ultimately, you know, the, 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 everything did, did sort of grind to a halt and we, we stopped pushing the book. Um, it's still there. People can still go and grab it. Um, but that was, that was a very exciting thing. And as for the future, I think it's just a question of, we're still not quite there. It's still a little bit up in the air. Um, opinions are not quite set on what's going to happen or what isn't going to happen. And I think it, to a certain extent, it's a little bit of a waiting game and just feeling it out. Yeah, we've um, so obviously we've had a really tough eighteen months, um, as so many have. Uh, but May was super busy, so when we were allowed to reopen in April, mid-April, um, it was sort of reasonably busy. Last couple, the first couple of weeks back, and then right. May just exploded. Um, wow! And we just have quite a few weddings that are all emergencies as well because i think couples are sort of like oh right you know let's just get it done sure i think wedding couple i think couples to be are in two categories at the moment it's either we want to get married let's get it done we'll worry about the big celebration we'll do that in a year's time or something and then you've got other couples who are no i'm not compromising on my big day and so um i think we've got this rush of weddings that are going to happen this year come what may Mm -hmm. because they want to just get it done but then 2022 2023 are going to be huge i mean i've heard stories that it's very difficult to book the most popular wedding venues i bet yes a year two years in advance Mm. exactly um so i i I just that there there is definitely going to be this pent-up demand that is going to flood all of us in this industry. Um, and and we've got to hold on to that positivity. Um, but amongst other suppliers, because I'm just starting to sort of reach out to start networking with other suppliers mm-hmm. because it makes sense, right? Absolutely. You know, there's Absolutely. a lot of cross-referral business that, that, that we can all give each other and help each other out. But I have been finding that I kind of went into it. I'm one of those people who... I think some people would describe me as an excitable puppy. So when I meet new people, even though I'm quite introverted, when I when I push myself to do it, I am very much like a dog. I will come up to you and I want to know all about you and I want to be your friend and I want to help you as much as I can. But I'm finding a little bit of resistance from people in our industry. Uh, not everybody, but a lot of people are still, you know, they're still a bit... I guess I understand it. They're feeling a bit bruised and battered from last 12, 14 months, but they've, they've lost hope. And I, I don't think that they should. I'm in agreement with you, Roberto. I think, I mean, historically, I just, just to sort of clarify it before I go into any detail, I think wedding suppliers, mostly creative people, uh, or have a creative flair. And, I love I love creative people, but I also think that the wedding industry can be quite cliquey, and I think it, it stems from a, a place of of protection, really, because for a lot of wedding suppliers, the wedding industry is hard. A lot of people come into the wedding industry because, it, from the outside, it seems like a booming industry, lots of money to be made, 
quick bucks, everybody's happy. It isn't true. It's hard. It, it's hard in a sense that a lot of people, in order to to really get their passion into a wedding business, have to work a second job. That's a reality for a lot of people. Um, to actually go full time, that's a huge accomplishment. So I think there is a lot of um, there are a lot of mental health issues in the wedding industry. I think people struggle with it a lot, and I think a lot of the time people don't have the confidence necessarily to put themselves out there. And just to sort of rewind to what you said about yourself, I mean, I, I picked up straight away that you were somebody that I was definitely going to connect with. You know, we were going to get along like a house on fire um, because I saw that enthusiasm and that willingness. Um, and I don't see you backing down and I don't see you kind of having to hide. I think you're very, you're very upfront about everything. You're very sort of honest. You wear it on your sleeve. You know where you want to go and you're prepared to do the, do whatever it takes to get there. Um, and that's awesome. And that's awesome. So it would be nice if, if, if everybody sort of really had that attitude. But I guess when you described that resistance that you, you were meeting with people, I would like to suggest that it's possibly because they don't have that confidence within themselves to put themselves out there. And especially now with, with the lockdown situation, I think it's really rocked the boat, even for suppliers who, um, you know, are putting positive vibes out there and are being positive and are being supportive and are doing all they can. Behind the scenes, you know, things are still really, really hard, really, really difficult for them. Yeah. We, I don't always know. Thank you so much for that, by the way. I don't always know where I want to go. Um, but what I do, and, you know, James and I are talking here, and we're hoping that um, a lot of our colleagues within the wedding industry will hear this and hopefully it will be of some help and you know but I'd love to to kind of know anyone who wants to share their thoughts and feelings you know email us um, drop a note in comments uh, if you want to stay anonymous that's absolutely fine as well but it would be really really nice to get get a really good sense check of, of how people are feeling and get some stories as well um, so yeah, as I was, I was, I was just saying, I don't always know where I'm going, but the one thing I do know is that if you stay still, you die. It's as simple as that. No, there's, there's no magic bullet We're we're all getting attacked by people that are saying, uh, you're trying to sell us services like, um, you know, selling to people via LinkedIn and, SEO services and all these magic bullets that will suddenly cure all your business woes overnight and start bringing sales in. I know that some suppliers, as there are other tailors in my industry out there, that over the last 12, 18 months have just buried their heads in the sand and said, everything stopped, I'll just wait for it to come back magically and hope that I can survive till then. It's, it, it might not happen. Of course. I mean, things will come back, <laughs> but, but things just magically happening... That's very unlikely to happen. If you don't put yourself out there, then you're going to... For me, it's just you're just digging a bigger hole for yourself. So I've, I've, you've got to try. And, um, you know, I mean, look, the, the last the, the three... Particularly summer 2020, I mean, that was a terrible time. I, my mental health was in the bin. Um, I, I didn't know what to do. Our business was completely shut. Obviously, nothing was happening. People weren't at the office. People weren't going uh, planning their mm -hmm. weddings because all of that was put on hold. 
Um, I, we had no income coming in because we had no government support. Um, so uh, I did the next best thing that I could, which was to say, right, who's hiring right now? And so that was my side hustle for the summer. I went and just did delivery in Uber Eats. Um, so I was out uh, early morning and then I would come back for a couple of hours when there was the sort of mid-morning lull. Uh, then I would go out again at about half 11 for the lunchtime rush. And then I'd come back again and then I would work a couple of hours in my business. And then I would leave again at about five in the evening and I would then be working, you know, riding around on my, my scooter till about, you know, sometimes midnight. Yeah. You'd be surprised how late people order takeaway. <laughs> always surprises me <laughs> um so that so that's what i was doing and it was quite um it was it was character building to use a cliche at sometimes uh, sometimes it was quite debilitating I, I had a couple of incidents because my scooter is sign written and so sometimes i'd be parked outside somewhere waiting to pick a, a delivery up and and you'd get some yobs stood outside that would then Google me and then go. I remember one night in Camden, um, I actually was spat at. You know, they they started oh, off no. with, "Oh, you're supposed to be some big shot tailor. Look at you, you're delivering burgers." Oh man! And I was like, "Well, I'm just doing it just to get by in the meantime because my business is closed." And then they just spat at me like I was worthless. Mm. Um, I take the positive from that experience because for two reasons. Number one. It made me experience what those guys and women do every day who do those types of jobs. Uh, I know exactly what they go through. So it's given me more empathy for them. And it's made me feel grateful for my own situation. The second thing that it did is it gave me space. It gave me, rather than sort of wallowing in a heap on my sofa, you know, binge watching Netflix and stuff and hoping that magically the world would be put right, right itself. some yeah. morning. that I went, Yeah, exactly. Um, it just gave me space away from doing those sorts of things. And in between the pickups and the drop-offs, when I was on my bike, I was able to think and I was able to start, just get the Rubik's Cube out that resides somewhere in the recesses of my mind and start turning the sides of the Rubik's Cube to try and work out this problem that I, straight we, are all facing mm. right now and have been facing. And basically, I came to the conclusion that people are still going to get married. People are still going to be wearing clothes. Uh, so for me, it's those two things are very important together. Yeah, of course. Uh, when, naked, when, when naked weddings become a thing, then I'm in real trouble. I have to jokes. rethink it entirely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, that would make the stop motion videography thing become a whole lot more interesting. Um, and you know, it there were there were there were going to be people out there that were still going to be planning things. So, if you think about it, whatever you do, whether you're, uh, I mean, we're all in sales essentially. We're all selling products and services, and sales is a bit like looking for a needle in a haystack. Mm -hmm. um, the haystack just got bigger. So you've just got to roll your sleeves up and get into this much bigger haystack, but the needles are still there. Um, it's a great analogy. So, I really, I really, really like that. The imagery is really strong. Yeah. 
I thought you'd like that one because your brain works in a very mm-hmm. visual way. Which it does. is why you were such a good videographer, obviously. Um, so, so yeah, I so I, I on one hand I do get people sort of desperation, despair, pessimism, and so on, but at the same time, we are coming out of it, and you've got we've we've all got to be ready for that. Um, so rather than sort of just hoping that, you know, one morning your business is going to come flooding back, is it not better to to sort of start getting ready for it to come back? And even maybe just try and put put yourself out there. Because if people don't know about you, they're going to go to the next person that does what you do that is putting themselves out there. And you don't want to be in that position. Yeah, one of the... I mean, I was I was quite closely involved with talking to a lot of people about this very issue um, and really sort of maintaining contact and finding out where people were and what they've been doing and how they've been coping. And, and one of the things that really hit a lot of people was this sense of imposter syndrome. Like, it's it's quite difficult anyway to put yourself out there. Let's say, you know, you're, um, you're one of the sort of public-facing people. So you're a photographer, a celebrant a videographer, a band, any of those people that are really involved with the people on the day. It, at times, it can be very difficult to stand up and do that job, to, to be ever present and, and visible and, and unguarded. And I think this sense of kind of imposter syndrome kicked in because if you don't keep up, it's like exercise. If you don't keep up doing that job, the terror sinks in of like, oh, am I going to be able to perform to, to, to the standard that's required? And then the added pressure of a wedding day, it's like, it's actually unrepeatable. It's a single take. And it's one of, one of the very rare things that can't be repeated, at least not very easily. And so the pressure is super high to, to deliver that performance. And so a lot of people, I think, are probably still suffering from that a little bit. The first wedding back after a year off would be terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But also full of joy to be back doing it. So a double-edged yeah, sword. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the thing is as well is that you know we're a lot of a lot. I was talking to to someone else the other day, and I was just saying that you know the first time back in the workroom actually seeing someone, uh, you know, luckily it was an existing customer, but I just didn't know what to say to them. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? I know exactly I, I what you mean. Wasn't. I wasn't used to seeing people anymore. So, you know, firstly, you've got that whole awkward thing because I, when I see a lot of my long-standing customers, shake hands is a given, but mm-hmm. with a lot of them, we actually hug when we sure. see each other yeah. because these people have become friends and mentors over the years and I love them to bits. Um, so, so there's that first social awkwardness to get over, which is, it, you know, you walk towards each other and it's uh, so. What are we doing? Do we fist bump, elbow? It's almost like <laughs> no one's kind of been sure. Now. It's like yeah. it's like go to shake, change to a fist, move to an elbow, but the other person does exactly the same thing, but in a different order. So you're all over the place, right? Um, and so so there's that first of all. Then there's the whole mask issue, and then. After that, it's basically, you know, the the old cliched things that you say. So how have you been? What have you been up to? Well, I haven't really been doing anything because I've been stuck in my house for the last 14 months. What about you? Well, yeah, same thing. Okay, so there's no new experiences or anything to talk about. So we can't do the small talk stuff. Then you need to... So, so then what's left? 
what are you here for? Get down mm-hmm. to business. Yeah, and then <laughs> Which, that's when the awkwardness. Yeah, when you're quite amiable and you're not a pushy as a salesperson, that is very awkward. Um, so, so then, um, so yeah, so I was basically just getting fabric folders and just throwing it at them and just saying, okay, well, just have a look through and just decide what you want because I, I don't know what to do anymore. That is that didn't actually last very long. Muscle memory then kicked in and I was back to my old self very quickly. Sure. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but, but it got me thinking that we owe it to ourselves to keep ourselves in shape, to use your exercise analogy, so that we are ready and that we are on top of our game the moment that it all hits, starts to hit back. Too true. You don't want to be flabby and slow off the starting line. So it's thinking about everyone in their individual sort of businesses, what are the things you need to do to keep on top of things and make sure that you're ready. It's, it's almost like live every single day as if things are going to be back to normal tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? We've seen a lot of suppliers pivot and and do and use whatever skills or craft they have left or available to them to, to bash out something new. And I think this time, this lockdown period has actually been a, a hive of kind of creative thinking and problem solving. And for anybody that leaned into the process like yourself, I think they've come out stronger. Yeah. I mean, look at Rachel, who we were both with last week uh, when we were doing wedding tennis. That was so much fun. That was so much fun. Baker shoe. Baker shoe. Exactly. I mean, what a great concept. Because she said that it sort of came out of just an accident that happened. I don't know if it was at her wedding. So the basic the basic story is that that brides and grooms would would feed each other cake um, traditionally. Um, and uh, when her husband went to to give her some, he just took a great big handful and just smacked it in her face, <laughs> full on, coated her face in it, and yeah, and I think it dripped off and then onto her shoes. Um, so then the idea for sort of cake shoes was born. It's just very, very, very bizarre, but very, very cool at the same time. Exactly. I'm hoping to have Rachel on this thing. She said she'd do it. So, uh, so hopefully we'll, I'll, I'll be able to get that scheduled and make it happen in the coming weeks. But amazing. It's a, it's a, it's a great story. But the point is, is that she started a business during the pandemic from that simple idea. And it's, looks like it's taken off for her it's extremely unique no one else is doing it and it's a lot of fun as well so um you know when you're going for what i would probably say is the less traditional part of the wedding industry which is obviously still quite a big segment of couples who want to do things differently Mm. um uh, people like rachel are are just finding those little niches Um, you know whether it's by design or happy accident it doesn't matter the point is is that she's She's actually just rolled her sleeves up and just decided to give it a go. And the dead, dead to do it, I think, at the same time, because it is so it is so creative, it is so out there. Exactly. Isn't that the old para saying, he who dares wins? Or we, well, yeah. We'll update it to they who dare wins. There's another there's another there's another saying that I really, really like, and it's uh, fail fast. It's like if you're gonna try something, just get on with it and, yeah. and put out the minimum viable product. And see if it sticks. And obviously, in her case, that's what she's done, and it has, and that's brilliant. Yeah. So, uh, going back to what we did last week, so we we recorded um, uh, something that you called wedding tennis, which basically you got two suppliers we'd never met before. To be honest, I 
obviously haven't done much with other suppliers today anyway. Um, and then sort of pitted us together in this battle of wills. And you had some pre-prepared questions for us that you then fired at us. And uh, we had to give our answers, obviously, honestly, but with humour if we could. Um, mm-hmm. I, a lot of people are saying I cheated because, you know, I had my dog with me. But at the end of the day... We didn't have that in the rules, though, did we? <laughs> we didn't say anything about props or animals or pets or... That's it, exactly. Yeah. That's it. And that wasn't intentional. I mean, he's always by my side. I mean, weirdly, he's... I know he's actually behind me. There we go. Um, But A, it was a lot of fun. But B, it was just a really nice way to meet a new person without really much other pressure, other than the pressure you were putting on us with your questions. (laughs) But it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Rachel and I have connected offline, well, online on Instagram and so on. And uh, as I say, we'll hopefully be able to take that offline in the future. Uh, and help each other out um but do, is 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 that something that you would see yourself doing more of or maybe even formulating some sort of um business idea around that sort of concept of connecting suppliers together um because i think if we approach each other directly that's where the kind of weirdness kind of creeps in because people are very cliquey. You're absolutely right. But if you've got someone who's kind of the middleman who's bringing people together, I don't know. I just kind of saw that as, you know, if ever someone said to me, oh, who would you think of for that sort of role? I would just think of you and Rachel like immediately. But is that something that's been in the the kind of thinking process for you? Interesting. Um, yeah, like I said, um, well, I, oh, for, start, for starters, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um <laughs> That is an example of doing something a bit scary. That's an example of introducing something that could go wrong. Um, and it's not until you try these things and you have to have a little bit of faith in yourself and say, well, I believe I believe that I can get this to work. And, you know, nine out of ten times it will work. Um, and sometimes it, it works at about 75% and you think, well, okay, there's room for improvement. Let's, let's keep going. Um, so, yes, I think part of the DNA of Wedding Espresso has always been bringing people together. Um, cause if I, I, I go back to my sort of concept of stonehenging, I like it when people come together to build something better. So, you know, far being from my own personal agenda or, or ego centric idea, it's like you said, it's more about if we can do something fun together and have a good time, uh, and put some positive stuff out into the world, then we're making the world a slightly better place by doing that. But at the same time, I'm giving you and Rachel an introduction that, like you said, is not formal, but is just more human and more realistic. And that's sort of how people meet in the real world. Um, so yes, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting thing for me. And it's come, it's come from a place of, of almost slight insecurity because when you imagine these things, like you said, you think everybody would want a more formal approach. I'm thinking of kind of like business breakfast meetings and very structured and, and professional. And But my plan was to sort of tip that on its head and, and try something completely different. And I'm so glad it worked. And now it's sort of, you know, back into the back into the lab to try to work out how to scale that up and, and, and make it a bigger thing for more people and get more of that connection going. That's what I want to see. Yeah. See, so do I. That's why in my very Machiavellian way, I'm, you know, sort of trying to uh, 
do my Jedi mind tricks on you. It's like, go, James. <laughs> Manifested. There it is. Yeah, I've just planted the seeds. So now it's germinating in that brain of yours. It's brilliant. I love it. That's it. It's, um, it's kicking but, off. But, but, but you see, that's the thing. So you mentioned uh, very, you know, the other way of doing it, which has been around for years, which are the sort of BNI type things where you have the formal sit down breakfast and it's a referral right. stroke networking thing. Um, and it is very, very structured. Everybody has to do an elevator pitch. Um, you know, I, I've been to some of those very early in my career and I didn't last long in them because what I realized is that everyone sat around the table was only thinking about themselves mm-hmm. when that wasn't really the point of those meets. And you touched on it just now. Um, now that I think about it, why were they sitting there and why did it feel like everybody was being very selfish? And the reason why is because those sort of very formal structured networking breakfasts don't give people a chance to joke around and to break the ice properly and just get to know fun little facts about each other um here's a here's a funny little here's a here's a funny little anecdote for you i i was a member of bni i was a member of one of the most successful bni groups in the country didn't they all claim to be the most successful BNI group in the country? It was. It was based. It was based. On, it was based on turnover, um, and and it had it had a very very positive vibe, and people would would look look up to our group as a very friendly, supportive group. I mean, I, I hit I hit lucky really, and even then, it, it sort of people enjoyed having me in the group I, I came up with a slogan for the project i was working on and within a few weeks you know we have to do like a one minute presentation but within that one minute presentation i had the whole room chanting my slogan because i you know i turned it into okay. a bit of entertainment and it's it's it, sometimes it just needs that lighter touch you know it just it just it just brings it all together people need to come together yeah absolutely uh, that's why i i think um because i was really really thinking about things after we finished recording wedding tennis last week and I, I just thought you know eventually when when the time the climate etc permits us to doing something like this in real life would be absolutely fantastic it works online as well it absolutely works mm. online as well but when we're able to sort of start getting back together again you know something even something better kind of, even better yeah exactly something you, you know like an event based around that sort of thing would be would be just fantastic i think and then it would be right i'm going to stop talking now because someone will take this idea off us and go run with it and you know we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> it another time um just so, for yeah. just for everybody's just for everybody's information uh, wedding tennis summit has now just been registered the domain Whoa. has gone <laughs> no it hasn't i'm kidding but it, it might don't search for it it might <laughs> yeah james is doing it right now this minute um straight so after I this call keep talking while yeah exactly no do it now i'll keep talking and i'll you know i've got you back um so um so speaking of in real life uh i saw some sort of announcement by the way i've kind of been avoiding the news for the last month or so that's probably why i'm a lot more positive than a lot of other people because ignorance is total bliss um like cypher out of the matrix when he's eating his steak (laughs) that's Um, right yes yeah, I, I kind of understand where he's coming from, although, you know, I wouldn't sell my friends out in that way. Anyway, sorry, going down a movie rabbit hole, wrong podcast. Um, so talking about real life, I think I saw 
an announcement that from the 21st of June, although they've delayed general lifting of restrictions, um, weddings will be allowed to go ahead without the 30-person restriction. Um, You'll only be limited by the venue's ability to host however many people safely with social distancing and so on. Again, I'm going to put this to you because uh, I get all sort of dog-like, very excited and like, oh my God, everything's going to come back. But then there's practical considerations with that. It isn't... The way it's been framed, it's almost like wedding industry goes, yay, it's going to be a free-for-all again. Weddings are back to normal. But it's not quite that, is it? Is it? When I when I looked Take at the, the announcement... Out donut. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it a good squeeze. Um, yeah, so... When I looked at the announcement, I thought, this is good news, but it might not necessarily be the news that people are looking for. And I was kind of a bit ambivalent about it, really. I went online the next day, quick scroll through Facebook. Oh, my God, the rage. Um, and I was like, okay, something's <laughs> up. Some, something has gone wrong. This is not good. Um, I think the problem is, it, it, the problem has, has been all along, is, is that these announcements are made they're taken at face value and stripped of context. And I think once you start to apply those rules to a context, those rules do help some people, but they don't help everybody. And my friends um, were trying to get married in July and their venue is run by the council. And they approached the council and in terror, really, because they'd been told that they could move their date without penalty if their wedding wasn't allowed to go ahead. But were they allowed to move their date if their wedding could go ahead, but heavily compromised? And they were terrified of that angle. And But they approached them and the venue were cool and said, you know, the, the rules pertaining to us and our venue are you're allowed 50 guests. That's the cap. You have to have uh, a drink service to table. So everybody has to be sat down and there can be no dancing. And my friend's response was, that isn't the wedding that we planned. Yeah. And the venue said, you're totally right. We agree. And you're happy. We'd be happy to move it for you if you pay just a little bit more of the deposit. And they were over the moon um, because they can go ahead and, and try to have that wedding day that they actually wanted. So, yeah, it's up and down. And it, it, no dancing means, you know, it's harder for bands. And there's, there's so many suppliers who are still impacted by those restrictions still. Um, and it's this carrot situation, isn't it? Of like, they think it's going to get better and then it's taken away from you and then it's back on and then no, it's back off. And it's so difficult. It's so, so difficult. Yeah. And it makes that question about Chesney Hawks, the one and only versus (laughs) D-Lights Groovers in the Heart. Groovers in the Heart. It's a bit redundant, doesn't it? (laughs) It really does. Unless you want to sing it in your bathroom to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Well, can you imagine people who, who then persevere and grit their teeth and say, okay, fine, we'll just get on with the wedding. And then the DJ's sort of, you know, p- playing all these bangers and people are, are literally just only able to shuffle their feet under a table and nod their heads and stuff. My dad, my dad would be in his element. He's the best <laughs> seat dancer I have ever seen in my life. He is incredible. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah, so it's, uh, so you're absolutely right. On the surface, it looks bright and breezy and wonderful but then when you get into the actual detail of it it's like when pubs kind of reopened yeah when pubs kind of reopened last uh, September I think it was because we had our wedding anniversary 
And so I booked our local. And uh, first thing we realised is we couldn't take the dogs with us because of right. you know all of the COVID stuff. And um, so we got there. We queued up. It was freezing cold. So within ten seconds. My wife, who'd been looking forward to the first night out in months, was already bloody grumpy. Um, Then you had to do the whole scanning your QR code thing. That didn't work. So then you had to fill out a form. Um, (laughs) You know, we already had a table reserved, but that didn't seem to matter. Um, Eventually we got in. Then we had to stand in another little holding area. Then we were shown to our table. And because of the layout, because they've obviously had to take out so many tables and the sofas Mm. and things to do the whole social distancing and put Perspex screens in between everything, just the atmosphere of the pub was completely sucked out. And um, uh, it was all uh, not even table service. You had to scan a QR code again, which didn't work, uh, on your table. And there was a very limited menu... So there's a couple of, there's certain things on the menu that we go to our pub every week for, and Mm. they weren't there. And yeah, so scan QR code, brings up a very limited menu, order your stuff, and then eventually it comes to your table magically. Um, So yeah, that didn't work. So then we had to get the waitress over and then she was wearing one of those big face mask things, you know, the the ones that look like they're about to start welding a car or something. Right, the big, plus, the big plastic wraparounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's got spittle on the inside of it as well. Um, <laughs> it sneezes. So, yeah, really hygienic. Um, so uh, she came over and we couldn't understand a word she was saying. So I said to her, listen, I give you permission and I will sign whatever you need me to sign to take that mask off and then you can serve us because I can't hear you and this is just not working. Um, but she wouldn't. So, uh, because of, you know, hygiene and cleanliness and all of that stuff, eventually we managed to eat. We both decided over the course of the meal that we would never do this again. We're just going to wait for things to go back to proper normal. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, having gone through all of the rigors of hygiene and having our anniversary completely ruined because of all of this, and I'm not blaming our local at all. It's not their fault. Um, You know, they they were restricted. It's the situation. Um, but then she's at table number 15 with the payment machine. So obviously they stuck their card in, put their fingers all over it. You know, she's <laughs> then grabbed it back in her hands, taken the, and she just brings it straight over to us without sanitizing or any, anything. And I, I just said to her, I didn't ask her to sanitize it. I just paid. Um, but I said to her straight afterwards, I said, do you realize that we've been through all this palaver? And you've just brought me the same card machine that's been used by three different tables immediately before. So what was the point? Um, and she said, yeah, you're right. She said, it's insanity. Um, yes. <laughs> and I, Keeping up with all the rules and regs has, has been a challenge exactly. for everybody at the best of times. But one of the funny things is, I know you mentioned like the limited menu. Um, one of the best holidays I ever had was in Norway, uh, where they have a very limited kind of selection of things on sale throughout the country. And I guess it's a supply issue. And if you want a bag of crisps, literally in the whole country, you can have like ready salted or paprika. And those are the Mm. two flavors of crisps you can get. And if you think about like, you know, in England where you've got like a 50 different flavors, whatever you want, sausage and stuffing, you can get it. Uh, We're nuts. We're absolutely nuts. 
And I had hoped, I had a secret hope inside me that the pandemic was going to reduce like the level of insanity that we've reached in, in terms of like flavors and choice and options. I'm all for the ready salted or paprika option because it cuts out one decision process, yeah. you know, and it just makes life a bit less stressful. I looked at the chocolate aisle in Sainsbury's. Um, in fact, I heard a, a foreign couple over talking. Um, and I, they couldn't believe like the, the, the range of different chocolates that we have. Their minds were blown. Um, and I was hoping that we'd kind of learn from that, but I don't think it seems to be sort of rolling back to, to how it used to be. Yeah. Dreve Baker, who, um, who's a chef, he, he won Master Chef a few years ago. He was on the episode before last. And uh, he was just saying that that's one thing he doesn't like seeing is is when he goes to a restaurant or a venue and there's just a huge array of different options. Cause it too much choice. Of, yeah, yes. too much choice confuses people. And also um, it for him, it shows a lack of confidence in, in what a company right. is doing. Mm. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's just weird. Like you go to buy a multi-pack bag of mini cheddars and... Mini cheddars which, and mini which are cheddars, the six, seven flavors. <laughs> yeah. So now, so now there's different flavors. So there's like mini cheddars with marmite. There's mini cheddars, and there's with... the b- baked ones. Um, the... Baked, uh, not the other. What they call? They're they're they're, Walker's they're baked. healthier. Walker's baked, I think. Right. And they come in an array of flavors. They started off in literally just two flavors, like salt and vinegar and salted, and that was it. And now they've they've expanded those. Now you've got. Um, Peri Peri Nando's flavoured Walker's crisps. Of course. Um, that was the other thing I saw recently. Are you one of those people, though, when you see some of these new flavours, do you go, oh, okay, I'll just try it? And, and then it kind of somehow ends up in your shopping trolley. Because I do that. The problem, the, yeah, the problem I have, Roberto, it drives me up the wall, is um, I'll go in and I'll go, ooh, yeah, new flavour, but... Should I go with my trusty Rusty? It's like, if I have this new flavor, would I miss out on the enjoyment of the flavor that I really like? And it's sort of like, you get that, that tussle going on. And I, I hate the tussle. I'd rather it was just like, just one flavor. And I'm like, okay, crisps, you know, and it's sort of, that would be a, a simpler decision making process for me. It's never good to find yourself in the middle of a supermarket aisle, especially when it's busy, faced with, uh, doing <laughs> dilemma. Lots- yeah, basically you're doing, a, you're doing a loss-benefit analysis on chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Which is going to make me happier. Yeah, oh, no, that's it. Yeah. But, I, you know, I mean, I, I guess a, a wedding, and my point of the whole telling you about my anniversary thing was that I would just hate for all of that uh, a wedding, you know, table service and that sort of thing. Right, really, yes, The yes. whole point of going to a Very wedding true. is you look forward to the buffet. Um, so, well, I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> All I'm waiting for is everyone knows that I'm a cake monster. I'm just waiting for that damn cake to be cut. Um, and anyone, I'm, I'm literally, my ears are on alert for anyone that's just refusing the cake politely because of a dietary reason or something. Because I'm just like, yeah, no problem. I'll have your portion. Bring it over here. It's great. Um, and nicking cake off kids is the other thing I like to do as well. And I'm not ashamed at all. I don't feel guilty about it. Um, so, would you finish uh, a half-eaten piece of cake? There's the question. So, <laughs> yeah, I would. There we I go. I would. Brilliant. I would. Yeah, especially if you're it, good. You're a good guest. Then you're a good guest. No waste. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that would be my primary thought: is that there are people starving in the world. I mean, you can't let food go to waste. 
but if it had a combination of light springy sponge, cream, jam, and then icing, then I yeah, I wouldn't care. If someone had slobbered over it, I'd it would probably end up in my mouth. So yeah, it's fine. It's good to it's good to know. That sounds really rude, doesn't it? Um what's the <laughs> Can you remember the last wedding that you, you and Rachel attended? I, I just yes. seem to have I can't remember. Yeah, but it was pre-lockdown, so it was it was very it was very normal. Yeah. Do you miss? You must miss it, though. Do you miss? Do you do you um, miss being at a guest? Uh, a, sorry, do you miss being at a wedding as a supplier more than you do being at a wedding as a guest, or do you much prefer to be a guest at a wedding rather than being a supplier at a wedding? That's interesting. Um, very few of my friends are married, so I haven't been to a lot of weddings as a guest. Um, it's very, it's it's wonderfully refreshing um, to go to a wedding as a guest because if you've been a hands-on wedding supplier for many, many years, you've got this baked-in mental attitude of it feeling like going to work. You turn up at a wedding and you're immediately doing like shot recce and you're trying to work out like where the angles are and you're thinking about in the ceremony, you're thinking about where the cameras need to go or how low or how high to hide them from the guests. And you're doing all, and you're doing all this kind of mental process and there's a certain amount of, of stress involved in that because you're going through those processes. So it's wonderful for me to, to go to a wedding and just throw my arms up in the air and go, I don't care. I just don't care. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it and it's great. So I'm one of those people, technically as a supplier, I should be able to go to, if I'm lucky enough to go to a wedding that I've done the suits for, I should be able to just go and forget about it because my job's already done before the wedding day. But I'm one of those people that if I'm at a wedding, so one of my closest friends from college, when she got married, um, there was a disaster in the kitchen with the cake. They were delayed bringing it out um something hadn't been done correctly i can't remember exactly what but i'm one of those people that makes the ushers and bridesmaids look like they're completely effing useless because okay. i'm just like when i see a problem i have to go and fix it mm-hmm. so i just roll my sleeves up and it's i remember once uh, uh, one of my, one of my best friends when he got married his best man turned round to me when we were in the toilets at one stage of the wedding and he turned around and he said you're doing my job and you're doing all the ushers' jobs. And I just probably turned around, because this was about 13 years ago when I was younger and a lot more arrogant, and I probably just turned around to him and said something like, well, if you lot did your jobs in the first place, I wouldn't need to jump in, would I? Um, but I am Mr. Fix-It. So when, I, so, so when a, a customer invites me to their wedding, having done all their suits and stuff, I will get there ultra early. I will make sure that I'm on hand to make sure people's ties are done up right, help them to get dressed and so on. And it is, it's the weird thing. So like one of, one of my friends, straight clients, Danny, um, who is famous in the adult film world, shall we say? That was a okay. super wedding to go to. Um, uh, I turned up early. So he sort of, sort of was wandering around the venue and then he saw me and he said, you're like two hours early. I said, yeah, I know. I said, uh, I'm here to get you and your best man dressed. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, you know, we weren't expecting it. We can put a suit on ourselves, but 
but I just wanted to kind of do that. So, and I enjoy doing it. That's nice. And I think that kind of speaks to your level of professionalism and, and obviously, you know, you're very, you're very visually orientated as well. You want things to look right, especially when it comes to clothing. And I think what a treat to have somebody like that on hand. Exactly. So Mm. there are two things for everybody listening to this episode. Number one, um, invite me to your wedding because you will have an extra pair of hands for, well, it won't cost you anything but extra cake. So if you've not put... Sometimes half-eaten cakes, it's not even a problem. Half-eaten cake, yeah, exactly. Or or any five-year-olds that you've got that are just picking at cake. I don't understand children. They waste so much food. Stick me at the kids' table. That sounds really wrong. Um, and I'll make sure that there's no food gone to waste. Secondly, any of James's unmarried friends that are listening, um, please get engaged and plan weddings so that James can go to more of them because he really, really likes, he loves you and he really likes going to a good wedding. See? And maybe he can give you, give you some visual tips on how to make it the most incredibly visually special you know splendulous day that's not even a word sounds like something out mary it's Poppins. good though it's it's a yeah. good word so james's friends who are not married go and get married whether you believe in the institution of marriage or not it's just an excuse to have a good party and for james to have a great time there you it's go great catharsis for me completely exactly yeah so uh when we when we meet again on this podcast in future we'll see how successful that plea for help was or wasn't and how good our friends are and my new breakout business splendulous weddings that too exactly that domain by the way is being yeah, it's also it's gone being, it's gone <laughs> yeah you can't it's gone. Uh, that's taken. it james has just taken that one as well so just don't bother um james where can people find you right so um into webwise um please visit the website uh, my website is www.weddingespresso, and that's espresso as in coffee. Not the Croydon UK. way, espresso. Espresso. It isn't espresso, <laughs> it's espresso. <laughs> yeah. Wedding espresso. Yeah, so, um, and yeah, do, check, check, check out the website and have a look. And do you do Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and all of that stuff? I do very casual. I'm not very good on social media. I do very casual social media. So anything, anything solid or serious that I'm going to put out there will be available on the website. There we go. So www.weddingespresso.com. I have to really work hard on that one because I am from Croydon. So we do say espresso. And the other thing we do. Hey, if I could we- rewind the clock or, or buy a DeLorean with a, with a Mr. Fusion, I'd go back and change it. Yeah. <laughs> For that very reason. Would it would wedding, just be wedding, wedding mocker or wedding coffee. Uh, hang just, on a minute. You better buy those domains as well while you're just at keep it. it simple. Just wedding keep cappuccino, weddinglatte.com. I don't wedding yeah, espresso. I think wedding espresso had the perfect ring though because an espresso is very small. You know. This is right. It's a shot a shot of a shot of energy. That's, it's that's a little yeah, shot exactly. of energy. Exactly. Um so yeah, sorry, weddingespresso.com. You can also buy James's wonderful book, um, Carpe Diem Wedding Baby, exclamation mark, on all the usual places that you can get good books from. Is that right? It is. Carpe Wedding Diem Baby is actually available free uh, from our website. Or you can go and buy my book that I wrote, which is Life Happens, Education Helps. And that's available on Amazon. Brilliant. I'll put the links to it 
all of those in the show notes for everybody. Please go check James's publications out because they're amazing. And if you're if you're a prospective bride and groom, um, they are invaluable resources, but not the typical kind of boring, you know, just talking at you type. I mean, these are written with passion, with love, with humour, with real stories, um, and they're very relatable as well. And if you're a wedding supplier listening to this, just go snap up a few copies because they make great gifts for people who have chosen to put their wedding business with you. Um, James, thank you so much. Give my love to Rachel. It's been wonderful to have you on. Um, I hope you will join me again at some point in the future once we've got all those domains up and running and we've got the new sort of, uh, you know, networking events business often, often, often running. Um, thank you so much for everything that you do, really. I, I don't, I think you underrate, underestimate the impact that you have had on people like me who are lucky enough to know you. Because those times when certainly I've been feeling at my lowest, the emails that you send out, the letters that you send out, and these ideas that you continuously keep coming up with give people like me that much-needed little shot of espresso and energy that we need to pick ourselves up and get going again. So thank you so much for that. Bobby, I'm... A little, well, I'm lost for words. I'm humbled, and it's an honour um, to to be able to help anybody anytime. So if if I've helped you, then you know, thank you for uh, thank you for conveying that to me, and I'll, thank you for the opportunity to jump on the podcast. I've had a great time. It's been wonderful. Oh, you're abs- you're absolutely welcome. Hopefully, we'll get you some wedding invites and some more book sales as well. Um, so that's it from me that's it from james thank you so much for joining us for another week i'll put the links to uh james's publications and the website in the show notes for you um we'll be back in about a week's time um again i have no idea who i'm talking to next because there are just so many uh, bookings that have been made uh, for people to get onto this thing but thank you so much for lending us your ears um you can find me on all the usual social media links um i will put those in the show notes as well um please if you love this episode please remember to rate and review it helps people not only find this podcast and help us to keep growing but it also helps people to um find my wonderful guests like james um, and it helps to support them as well in what they're trying to do Um, thanks very much see you on the next one